What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Body Bag Podcast. I'm Chris Thomas, and with me, as always, Broke Writer Dave. How we doing, everybody? Listeners, you caught us on a very special episode of Body Bag today. And a historic day, if you will. We have our very first guest on the show. She is the author of Take Your Turn, Teddy, a book that I'm thoroughly enjoying right now, as well as not another Sarah Halls. Remember, everyone, the wicked have no empathy for the pure. Horror author and professor Haley Newland is on the show with us. Thank you very much. Yes, newly professor, yes. <laughs> David, you were actually a fan of hers before I even asked you to start finding somebody for the podcast. Yeah, I think it was Hannah that randomly hit me up on Twitter when I asked for yeah. guests, so. My twin sister is my publicist. My twin sister Hannah. When I asked Dave, I said, hey, look, I'm going to edit this episode. I need you to go and find us a guest. And I thought maybe a friend, maybe a, another podcaster, maybe just uh, one of our listeners. He came back. Not only did he find a horror author, but uh, Vincent Price aficionado. Yes. A horror movie yeah. enthusiast, much like ourselves. So kudos to Dave. You went above and beyond finding the, <laughs> I, I, way better than I would have done. I would have found somebody off the street, but you actually put in the effort. No effort. Just kind of fell into my lap. Don't give me too much kudos for it. Well, just, just take the compliment. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So just right off the bat, let's go ahead. Before we even get to the movie, which I'm anxious to get to, let's talk about your books real quick. All right. So like I said, I'm already right now in the middle of Take Your Turn Teddy, which I'm enjoying, by the way. It's good so far. I'm Thank anxious you. to see what happens. But I don't know about Dave, but I had a couple of questions as I believe we're both aspiring writers ourselves. Is, am I right about that, Dave? Yeah. You're definitely right about that. Which I was excited to have another author on the show because for the life of me, I can't finish any of my projects. It's, it's yeah, I have the same problem. I have like eight or nine half-finished books, so... But for this one that I'm problem. reading, Take Your Turn, Teddy, I don't want to give anything away of what I'm reading so far, but for any future potential readers, how would you describe it, like the plot for any yeah. potential readers? Yeah, so when I was in college earning my master's, I was one of those students who, when I got to pick my electives, I always wanted to be in psychology courses. And so it got to the point where I actually had to kind of like mock enroll as a psychology student to be able to continue taking some of the psychology classes because they didn't align with my major. Mm -hmm. And to me, the psychology just always pairs with my writing. Whenever I start a story, the first thing I do is I go through the DSM-5 again, I go through some criminal psychology. And so you definitely see that in Take Your Turn, Teddy, a core theme is childhood trauma. And when I was researching serial killers, that kind of tends to be, for lack of a better word, a trope, you know, kind of how this trauma manifests. And then I, I paralleled that to Carl Jung, kind of this exercise size in control. And then I discovered the four archetypes that he says make up the human psyche. Mm -hmm. And one of those was the shadow. And basically the shadow lives in all of us. That's where our greed comes from, our jealousy, our anger. And I thought, wow, how powerful would that be to, you know, as, as your child and your brain is developing, what if you had that physical manifestation of the shadow kind to lure you on the wrong path? So essentially, that's what the story really is, is Teddy is amidst all this trauma, he's very confused. And then he has this other voice, this darker voice that pretends to be a friend and kind of tries to lure him on a darker path. I guess I, I haven't gotten to the shadow part yet, but just get, I'm now I'm really excited because I'm, I'm still kind of early into the story I, where the trauma is starting to build. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's totally a psychology reference. And yeah, I 
you know, taking horror is all about the manifestation in mm. front of you. And if you look at like classics, like Pennywise, Pennywise mm. becomes a manifestation of each of the loser clubs, you know, biggest fears. Mm -hmm. So I thought, what if I took all these things this kid is feeling and doesn't understand like anger, resentment, and what if I put that in a being that's sitting on the opposite side of him? Now, the main character is Teddy. Yes. And you turn Teddy. And I believe he's nine or 10, is he? Yeah, I think he's 10. 10, I <laughs> yeah. believe. Now, when I was reading it, and he was starting to experience some of that trauma, his reactions, that sense that naivete and yeah. sort of innocence about him, where he's not entirely sure what's going on and how he's justifying certain things in his mind. Now, one of the things that in our last two episodes, I had a recurring complaint about the way kids and teens are represented in horror movies. Yeah. So how do you go about writing dialogue for a child when you're writing this book? Because I imagine you want to make him interesting. But at the same time, you don't want to make him like stupid sounding yes. like we all have, were naive and innocent as kids, but we weren't stupid. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I think, first of all, I, I used what I call book models, you know, where I refer to different books that kind of have similar scenarios. So I used like Stephen King's It to kind of look at different kids, how different kids react. And I realized that, you know, we talk about well, a 10-year-old wouldn't say that, or that's too intelligent for a seven-year-old. And you realize you can see it across it. There are things that these kids who are, for the most part, the same age, understand that the others don't. And that, to me, comes from a background. Like, there are things about trauma that Beverly understands that some of the other kids never would. And so I had to initially kind of decide, what is that level of trauma going to be for Teddy? And kind of where did he exist before then? So I, I think I... If I can say this, I think I did a relatively good job of saying, okay, he really has the one concrete friend, but the rest of kind of what he learns comes from music, comes from his love of baseball. Mm -hmm. So I think that really showed he is innocent and he has these passions, but he hasn't really been exposed to any bad. And you do sort of early on paint this very idyllic picture of a very happy child, just an average day for an average child that all of a sudden just gets dashed seemingly out of net. Well, you can tell that it's been building up for a while, but this yeah. particular day is the one that sets every this horrible downward spiral going into motion. Uh, Dave, yeah. you got anything for right now? Or you want me to keep yeah. on going? <laughs> no, I got uh, so it take your turn, Teddy. You got, you know, characters like Officer Finch, Officer Strode. Where do you find your inspiration for uh, characters? characters like that? Yeah, that's thank you. That's a great yeah. question. So Officer Strode, he kind of came from you. I'm, a, I'm sure you guys are Stephen King fans, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he kind of came from I'm trying to remember his his name, the officer or the detective in um, oh my gosh, the outsider, the outsider okay, was yeah. kind of where I started to develop Strode. But I also, now, Chris, you're not quite there yet. You haven't met Strode yet. Yeah, that's why I was trying to plug my ears. Like, do I need to Yeah, I, yeah, I, I leave the room for a minute? Yeah. I won't give spoilers, but it, this is on the back of the book. The the officer right. and Teddy will, will eventually kind of link together, but they both have experienced these difference in traumas. So it's interesting to me to show a child who's kind of navigating it as it's happening, and then an adult who is not dealing with their trauma very well. And so it's interesting because, you know, you look at that theme of trauma and you see this kid and then you see this adult. So I, I try to link them together and you see one going completely down the wrong path. And then you see one who's kind of doing okay, kind of not doing so great. And what I wanted to show readers is that when you're dealing with things like this, every instant is, you know, a decision in control. 
Do I give into this, this shadow force? Do I give into this? Not to say it's always, nope, I'm not going to do that. I feel great. Now it's fine. But it's, it's a consciousness. You have to remember that when you are dealing with trauma or depression or whatever, it's as though there is something blocking your complete vision. And you have to recognize that so that you can look around it and see the good or see that there's more opportunity than what that shadow is telling you. So okay. sorry, that was a really long-winded answer. Oh, no, I like that. That's no, good. Good talk good away. Explain yeah. as much as you want. It really came from The Outsider, but also, I don't know if you guys picked up on this. As you know, a literature major, I named Officer Finch um, after Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. And I just wanted to really harness, you know, that young, angsty, fiery kind of girl, but in adult form. And so, you know, you have, this is a black female police officer in the 1970s. And so I didn't have like, you know, the stereotypical black woman who is sassy, but I gave her like, you know, she's intellectual. She kind of ignores the other men. And I, I love showing that because when the guys are giving her crap for, you know, being the only woman or whatever, she's not reactive. They're all joking around and she's like stepping around them, like noticing things about the crime scene. And they're all just like, you know, like, ah. <laughs> and so I tried to instead just give her this kind of quiet demeanor, not submissive at all, but just observational. So that kind of came from Scout. I wanted to see, okay, what if Scout did really learn from Atticus? What if, you know, she puts her fist down and doesn't fight, but instead uses her intelligence, you know, not to say that she's still not going to stand up for herself, but Atticus did raise very intelligent children. So I tried to infuse that into Officer Finch. That's a fun little Easter egg. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's actually, the book is full of Easter eggs. I'm sure you guys have picked up on some. There's tons of John Carpenter. There are There's some Vincent Price in there too. I, I'm going to email you after I'm finished with everything. I was like, all right, is this, did this mean this? Did this mean yes. this? Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was cool seeing like Logansport in the book. Yeah. I live like 20 minutes from Logansport. See, you said that and I forgot I did that. It's so weird, the little subconscious little thing yeah. you make. So, it's and Logansport, like, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Sounds right. <laughs> yeah. We, we both grew up not too far from Logansport. In fact, yeah. when I was in high school, my my high school played like Logansport in, in different, you know, that was their football, basketball, you know, uh, Logansport. Oh, yeah. yeah. The well, only person here up, not from Indiana, yeah. aren't I? I didn't grow up near Logansport. Like when I went to high school and all that, I lived in Gary. Okay. So like right by the Illinois Indiana border, but yeah. then I moved Indiana to Indiana thing. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. so funny because usually, you know, I'm the oddball from Indiana and yeah. I was on a podcast called King Poe Myers a, like a few months ago. Oh, I listened to that. Yeah, yeah. The the, the host and I really got along because he's a yeah. massive Vincent Price fan. Um, shout out to Dylan. Um, up, Dylan? But, <laughs> but it was so funny because when we wrapped up our talk, I go, you made me sound so much more Southern and country than I really am. Because I get that from, too. It was so funny because they're up North and, you know, he's like, I have to ask. There's a scene in Take Your Turn Teddy and this isn't a spoiler. It's, it's a minor yeah. detail, but they run through the cornfield and it's summer and they're wearing long sleeves and long pants. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that just doesn't make sense to me. And I'm like, oh, you'll get a corn cut. And he's like, what the hell is What's a corn, a corn cut? And I'm like, the oh, people don't realize like the leaves, yeah. the, the blade, we call them blades. Like, yeah, they get corn, sharp. They get so sharp. They like, it's like a, it's like a rug burn, but like very focused. And, you know, we it's used not to play good. in the cornfield. Yeah. What's a yeah. corn cut? Well, you, you know, that stuff that you eat that comes out of a can, it doesn't come out yeah. from a can. Yeah. It actually, you yeah. have to grow it. Yeah. So 
my Indiana and, you know, Teddy, Teddy goes from New Hampshire to Indiana in the book. And I always start my books in New Hampshire because that's where I went to school. <laughs> it's your okay. dairy, Maine. Right, exactly. And it was so funny because I had a reader ask me, are you ever going to do anything different? You're always going to put him in Indiana. And I thought, no, that no. actually segues. <laughs> that actually segues perfectly into my next question real quick, because people, they say to write about what you know, Right. You've done a lot of research into serial killers, psychology and whatnot. Right. How much, where, where does your personal experience and then like research kind of meet? Like how much of this book or is any of it based on actual experience? Yeah, almost, I would say almost the entire thing is based on my experience. So that was another reason where we talked about drawing inspiration from, you know, a child's perspective and how to, how to create their dialogue. So you, you said that Teddy has, there's kind of a hint that there's something bad going on in the house, but then it all comes crashing down. Yeah, there, there's, there, there's little snippets of, it seems nice on the front, but there's something just underneath the surface. Yeah. Right. And so I, I experienced that in my, in my own life where, you know, I, I recently started talking about trauma, opening up to it. And people are like, I remember you guys, you guys were always so happy and, you know, you did things together and yeah, we've lived together. So we did, but there was a lot that, you know, went on behind closed doors as there is with anybody. So I kind of had that same, uh, like culture shock, I guess, when, I realized we are not the idyllic family. And then I realized, what if no one is, you know, what if no one really is? And that was so heavy for me as a kid. And I, I included this in the book where Teddy is very upset with his father. I won't give away exactly. Mm -hmm. Teddy is very upset with his father and he doesn't really understand why he doesn't quite get it. And when he goes into his room, he lays on his bed and it's a Jetson's bedspread. Mm -hmm. And he's looking at each of the Jetsons and he, he asks himself after Mr. Jetson, you know, lets all the kids go, drops his wife off and everything. What if every single time he doesn't go right to the office? What if he goes somewhere else that none of the other family members know about? And, you know, he's young. He's not immediately thinking infidelity, but he's thinking, what if he's just not telling the truth? What if there's something I don't know? I, I like that I point when I read it because as a kid, you very much set up little scenarios in your head, especially with little toys around. Right. That was right. a very interesting kind of putting his own family situation onto the Jetsons, kind of like making it not so personal by putting it onto something else that's more physical that he can. Yeah. And you can feel the weight of him just like, what if, what if, what if? And that's really, I, to me, that's a huge becoming of age kind of trope is what if this isn't what I thought? What if my parents aren't these perfect people? What if they're not in love anymore? What if I did something wrong? And I feel like kids have this really major point in their life where they start to hit these what ifs and ask questions about the world and their family. And to me, that was something very personal in my life. You know, mm -hmm. my parents, parents were divorced. My mom was married a few times after the divorce and we moved all the time. And so I wanted to show that you can still have those sweet moments, but that doesn't mean there's not abuse. That doesn't mean there's not, you know, alcohol, there's not this trauma because there certainly was. And I wanted to show that. And you see these good moments between Teddy and his father, they collect baseball cards, Teddy and his mother listen to music together but there's still all that pain. That was a very sweet, uh, him and his mom listening to me. I, I have a very similar kind of romanticized uh, memory as well of listening to old records when I was very young with my mom. Very, very much like how Teddy yeah. was. My mother yeah. would put on records and play music. It's a big reason music. like 
Yeah, I'm a big fan of like 90s country because I remember car rides with my mom just listening to country music. My very, very first memory is my mother playing Earth, Wind and Fire records while she would clean up the house and I'd be just a little toddler. Very, very much like Teddy talks about how his mom was like Bob and dancing kind of around a little bit to my mom would do the same thing. So that was that was that was very nice. Brought back a memory that I don't uh, haven't thought about in a while. Yeah. It was actually a nod to my relationship with my grandfather because I think he knew that we were, you know, we had some some issues Mm -hmm. in our house. And so he would kind of come and rescue us sometimes. And it was great. Like he would come pick us up and drive us through the drive through at McDonald's and he'd roll down the back window and he's like, tell him what you want. And I remember that used to just be like, I mean, you know, I'm ordering like a dollar sandwich. I'm like Mm -hmm. six, seven years old. But I remember just being like, I have so much freedom and, you know, I, I get to decide what I want. And thinking about that now from a psychological standpoint, like that's a need for control. You know, that's wanting to be able to make a decision in in an environment where you feel very helpless. And so that is kind of where I really started to feel And this, this might sound scary, but it's horror. That's where I felt connected to some of the very young versions of these now notorious serial killers, not to sympathize with them or say, Oh no, I totally, I totally get get it. Especially, especially nowadays with a lot of, I mean, they're making another Ted Bundy movie, but there, there is a reason why so many, while, why people are fascinated with serial killers, because on some level, I think that people appreciate their level of detachment from having to overthink about what they're doing necessarily on a, on a, a, emotional level to be that kind of cut off i think a lot of people wish that they could be like that sometimes plus how i think i think a lot of the emotion gets in the way of intellectual thinking right yeah which is why a lot of these serial killers are very smart and very meticulous they they have to they have to be able to because psychopaths have no empathy but they have to pretend to have empathy right right and ted bunny was you know stellar at doing that he even worked at a suicide prevention hotline Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. for for a long time, and he was good at it. There's also instances of him in a full suit jumping into a lake to save a drowning girl when he had just killed a girl two weeks earlier. Like it's so, just a very yeah. fascinating kind of juxtaposition, right? Of, of those yeah. two differing worlds all existing yeah. in the same person. And to put an umbrella like over it, it's different magnitudes of confusion, you know, within the self. So like whether you're a kid and you're struggling to understand. Why is like grandpa picking me up? Why are my parents fighting? Or, you know, you have a serial killer who's thinking, why can't I escape this urge? Or why, why do I have this? And it's just, you know, mounding confusion. And it's interesting to not to jump the gun here, but I also think of you guys watch the tingler with Vincent Price and the tingler becomes, you know, this, this creature becomes a creature feature that uh, the creature latches onto the spine. And to me, I kind of thought that could be a metaphor for serial killers, like this, this urge. And like the more they think about it, it grows and it just like becomes. Or like, what if it was a creature that's making them do this thing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We just like, co-wrote a new horror story (laughs) yeah write it down write it down Mm -hmm. (laughs) one more uh question uh actually about like uh not another sarah halls awesome yeah so uh you dive deep into like teenage like mental health yes how hard is it to write on like touchy issues like you know cutting and things like that yeah so it was very hard actually um it's gonna sound really cliche i hope this doesn't sound like too cliche for you guys I actually say that my life started when I finished those two books and it was because it was very, very hard to write those things. When I wrote both of them, it was not 
like I was sitting down writing 3000 words a day. I was so inspired. It was so great. I remember people would say, what was it like writing that book? And I, I said, oh, it, it gutted me. And they're like, yeah. really? Like, I love that book. Those characters are so great. Yeah. And it comes back to writing what you know. You know, some yeah. of those experiences are very personal to me or to my twin sister, Hannah. And I have this immense love for young adult horror because being a teenager is horrifying. You know, it's not knowing who you are is horrifying and trying to pretend that you know who you are in a mound of people is very, very difficult. And so both of my two characters in that book really struggle with that. And it was very hard to write, but at the same time, I wrote it because I wish I had it. And again, I hope that doesn't sound cliche, but that's what really kept motivating me was 16, 17, 18 year old Haley would have yeah. loved to hear this. Would have yeah. felt seen. I get it. Cause I related to like both characters. Cause my yeah. first year in high school, I was kind of like loner and I switched schools. Yeah. And I kind of acted like someone I wasn't just kind of fit in, get with the crowd. Yeah. 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 And it was interesting yeah. because, you know, Autumn and Becca, the two main characters, you see Autumn, and in, in the stage that we see her presently, she's like, I'm different. That's okay. I'm going to be by yeah. myself, even though she misses her friends. But we do see flashbacks where there are instances of her trying to appeal to her friend and be like her. And so essentially that was my high school experience with my twin sister. I am much yeah. more introverted and she reads too, but I, I read all the time. I can spend three hours in my office just listening to Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Like, and she is very social and She'll say, we're going to have a party. And I'm like, how many people are going to be there? And she says, six. I'll walk in the living room. A seven. Who is that? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So so yeah. that was kind of my way of, of saying, you know, you got to be you. And I liked it because I wanted to explore the idea that you could be you and the people around you will probably love you even more for it, as crazy as it sounds. Or I should say the yeah. right people, the right people. If only you could go back in time. I know. Right. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm looking forward to reading uh, Not Another Sarah Halls as soon as I'm done with. Thank uh, you. And, and especially after you got finished talking about all of those things, I can look forward oh, to. Oh, wait. Finish. I just like thought of what's the uh, next project you're working on? If you give us like any uh, spoilers on that. Yeah. yeah so um, I did just finish writing a short story that is called, okay, The Butcher on Blue Jay Way. Um, which is another Beatles nod. Uh, nod. Yeah. That's something else to look out for in my work is all the Beatles nods because the Beatles are in love of my life. I have like my whole arm is is just dedicated to um, to John Lennon yeah, um, and the Beatles cool. tattoos. But Blue Jay Way is a short story. I'm hoping um, I submitted it to the Slasher anthology um, that's okay. coming yeah. out. Yeah, and it's 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 written only by women in horror with the final girl trope. So I submitted it there. Hopefully it finds its home there but if not we'll see that's the first short story I've written in about five years okay um and I'm also working on a novel right now called The Nowhere Man and that Nowhere is Man. another Beatles reference and yeah. this one like Take Your Turn Teddy takes place in the 1970s which is just my favorite era especially just criminal psychology and investigative process I love the 1970s all right we'll be, be we'll be on the lookout for that in the near future Thank hopefully you. That brings us to the movie of the week, which was Tingler. You specifically yes. uh, requested the 1959 Vincent Price movie, The Tingler. First off, Vincent Price has a ton of movies. 
Why the right. Tingler? Um, so first of all, I think it's the film that people may not know Christ for as much. Maybe they did back in the time, but I also find teaching that people don't don't know Vincent Price very well anymore, which breaks my heart. But when people do stumble upon Vincent Price, they tend to immediately think his monologue in the thriller, you know, Michael Jackson's or mm-hmm. thriller, Michael Jackson's yeah. thriller, or House on Haunted Hill is another one of his bigger ones. One of my um, favorites. Yeah, and it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a fantastic work. But the reason I love The Tingler so much is because you really get to see William Castle at his kind of most theatrical self. William Castle, the director, is yeah. very, he kind of brings this like carny sort of just very playful and he's kind of a prankster. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. brings that into The Tingler where I got that from the opening monologue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was going to say where he breaks that fourth wall. And it's really interesting to... It was very much like one of those amusement or rides at like an amusement park in which it's like the the thing or the person is out there in the audience with you. Yes, yes. And see, I love that. And, you know, historically, when when the movie first came out in major cities... William Castle actually sent very specific instructions to the theater showing it. And they would do um, different wiring techniques to make the seats buzz. They would hire actresses to sit in the audience and be like, the tingler, the tingler's on my foot. She'd scream. You know, they'd bring in like paramedics, like as if, you know, the tingler had taken over her spine and she couldn't release her scream unless the audience screamed too. It's just like, there's nothing like that today. There's nothing like that. It's so immersive. Mm -hmm. And Vincent Price already brings such a presence anyway. So to br- break that fourth wall where Vincent Price is then asking you to be a part of the, the movie too is just really special to me. Now, for those who have not seen the movie, usually at this point, I would give a quick synopsis of what the movie is about. But seeing as how it was your pick, would you like to give a quick uh, what the movie is about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, The Tingler is a fantastic horror film. It's very gimmicky, but it's great. I love uh, every to... second of those gimmicks. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, and it to me, it kind of feels like an ode in a way to, to Hitchcock. It has some Hitchcock nods. I, I was getting some opinion. of those vibes. Yeah. Um, but Vincent Price's character is a scientist. Um, it's kind of the theme with his character is really, you know, the scientist gone too far, you know, in the name of his research. And he's researching yeah. fear in, in, the, in the human body. And he kind of cracks into this notion that maybe fear is a tangible thing, something we can hold, something we can maybe even destroy or, you know, we have to release. And in doing so, it's that classic tale of the scientist diving way too hard in their research and I, I sent David text horrific. when I was a few minutes into this, into the movie. I paused the movie and I immediately texted. Him. I was like, I am really into this mad scientist, Vincent Price. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's so crazy because, you know, that was so huge in like the 80s. So to see yeah. that done in, you know, black and white in 1959, that was just really cool. Yeah. This movie was definitely an upgrade over uh, last week's movie. The last two, well, usually when it comes to these movies, because I'm, I have to balance editing, working, other projects and whatnot. Yeah. So I end up having to watch them in like increments like i'll watch yeah. 20 minutes here and then i'll have to watch 20 minutes here yeah. I, I put on the tingler at like 12 30 at night in the morning and i said all right i'll watch the first 30 minutes of this and i'll get some sleep and then i'll uh, i'll finish it in the morning but every time i was about to turn it off something would happen like all right i'm about to turn it off wait a second vincent just pulled a gun out on his wife what's going on here right. and then yeah. 
give me 10 more minutes and i'm about to turn it off I'm like oh my god this woman's having this weird nightmare sequence with, with like yeah. stuff going on is it did vincent price inject her with stuff what's going on oh my god he just ripped the tingler out of her spine and then yes. i ended up watching the entire thing usually yeah. I, it was just one of those for other movies i have to go all right sit down and watch a couple uh, like 10 minutes of this and then go on about your day this one i, I kept telling myself all right please give me an extra 10 minutes and then I'll, yeah. then I'll move on. So it, it, it's been a while since the movie, maybe it was also just the fact that some, it's been a while since I've seen a good black and white classic right. movie. So that yeah. was a good change of pace. What'd you guys think of the, um, it's black and white and then you get to the dream or the, the red, you know, the, the red, red. The red um, reminded me of Schindler's yeah. list a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of movies do say, that. Yeah. Yeah, I was not expecting that. That was another reason why it kept pulling me because yeah. so old fashioned black and white movies have a lot less to work with in terms right. of getting their story across. It's a lot heavy on you have to rely heavy on the actors to do their job, which, by the way, this has I don't know if the woman herself is actually deaf, but one of the main side characters is a deaf woman who helps run a silent movie theater, Right. which yeah. I got to awesome imagine movie, yeah. for the time was pretty yeah. progressive. Yeah, yeah, I think the 1950s. And all of a sudden, she's having a nightmare sequence, and there's only color on screen is the blood. So, because they have less to work with and everything is kind of scaled back, fancy shots like that tend to stand out more and you appreciate them a little bit more, which I did anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it adds adds to that immersive experience that was always after. Well, from like the beginning, the deaf girl's husband i always got like the creepy like murder vibe when he was talking about yeah. his brother was executed for like murdering someone i'm like i feel like he actually did probably framed his brother-in-law wow okay. but he I just came off that. weird yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then he was weird and one of the lines that stands out to me is right in that first few minutes where um you know he comes in and vincent price is doing the autopsy and he says who are you and he goes oh no one just that's it that's his explanation and he's that's like, what a serial killer yeah. says yeah and, and then he <laughs> exactly. just, you know, and then he's like con- confidently standing there you know he kind of acts like this timid guy but he's just like no one like and expects them to go about their business like okay okay like he said that's what he sure, said why not? yeah yeah so you're right that that is kind of serial killer vibe yeah so i thought it was weird with Vince friends like yeah i'll give you a ride and then yeah. he went up to his apartment like maybe it was a different time back then, oh, that's what i was, I was I like, like people that, were just yeah. nicer back then yeah. yeah. Doctor, can you give me a ride into town? Sure. Please Where do you live? Me. Pennsylvania. Yeah. 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 And then you see like yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, like 10, 11 years later. And then it's yeah. don't don't give people rides home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I liked also about this is that this is an hour and 20 minute movie, roughly. Yeah. 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 And a lot of movies try to unsuccessfully put a lot of things in in their movie and they don't flesh them out individually. But this has actually quite a bit going on for an hour and 20 minutes, but they're all connected together. You have a subplot with a deaf woman and her husband who own a silent movie theater. Another subplot about Vincent Price and his wife trying to kill each other. Yeah. Another subplot about two young kids who are in love with each other. Right. And all the while, Vincent Price is trying to figure out what the tingler is. Right. But yeah. None of all of this is just thrown at you. They all have to do with one another. So they overlap. They yeah. Overlap, but but it doesn't seem forced. It seems right. like okay, yes, that would naturally be going on right now. Right. Absolutely. And you know, I don't know if if David, if you picked up on this watching House on Haunted Hill, I don't know if this was 
Rob White, who was, you know, the writer on The Tingler, or if this is a David Castle thing, but in, or sorry, William Castle. In William Castle movies, there is always this massive tiff between the husband and wife. They're always, at least the wives are always vindictive. They're, you know, there's, there's a joke or there's a moment in, in House on Haunted Hill when she's like, remember that special drink I gave you? Or I'm, I'm probably butchering that line. But yeah. then Vincent, Vincent has this excellent line where he goes, yes, arsenic on the rocks. And it's like, yeah, that like, made me he says it in that Vincent Price awesome way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I've noticed that like every Vincent Price movie I watch, either his yeah. wife's dead or they hate each other. Right, right. And yeah. it's always You know, like- I've watched a couple ever since The Tingler, and you kind of right, at least the ones I watched. Yeah, yeah, so I'm wondering if it's like, I'm wondering if there's a story there. If like, yeah. um, I want to just like go to William Castle and be like, who hurt you? Well, yeah. like, what happened, man? <laughs> who broke your heart, man? <laughs> yeah, but it is entertaining. It's yeah. you know, back and forth. It's funny because when the wife shows up, because we, we know about the wife before we even see her. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, we know that she has this money and she won't give half of it to her sister and whatnot. So she's built she's up as out partying all the time. Out partying. Yeah. We see her making out, I believe, with a guy out on the driveway. Yeah, yeah. and there's always two glasses of yeah. liquor. I don't know. Because at first, I... Oh, I, I love that line, though, where he's like, how come it's always when the husband comes home, mm-hmm. the back door slams? Yes, as the husband comes in the front door, the oh, back door closes. Yeah, yeah. yes. At first, I hated the wife when, uh, you know, because she was like portrayed a certain way. But then I see the kind of stuff that Vincent Price, you know, pulls a gun on her and pretends to like kill her. And then I immediately love them as a couple. Yeah. Yeah. They dysfunctional and (laughs) it's a more dysfunctional uh Morticia and Gomez Adams if they were really intent on killing each other. Like this is just their relationship. They're both trying to kill each other. That's so funny. Yeah. If it's just like, hey, you're trying to kill me, that's great. It would totally be Gomez and Morticia. If if it was if it was if they were actually serious about each other or serious about killing each other rather than it being their kink. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, oh, my wife tried to slip me some arsenic today. Well, it's off to work. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's kind of another instance of the scientist taking it too far you know because he puts her in that i don't want to give it away but you know he he uses his wife in his own experiment you know Mm -hmm. with the tumor growing on her spine and to me that was like that was where i was kind of like okay this this wife is terrible but then i was like that's kind of that he's kind of terrible too too. yeah Yeah, like he's kind of throwing you pretty awful and he already kind of hinted at you know i think well we've already kind of given a lot away but I, i won't give exactly away but screaming plays a part in the movie yes yeah and there is a woman who is a deaf mute yeah and he already kind of mused beforehand oh i wonder what you know she's unable to scream and so i'm already in my mind thinking oh he's that that he's gonna use this woman for something yeah so yeah, and then, not a good guy himself yeah. yeah and there's another this this movie is actually loaded with in my opinion very some great like dialogue some great quotes there's a quote from vincent price in the beginning and he says science is often frighteningly impersonal and to me that's like if you could pull that one line to like you know what's the embodiment of of the movie it's that it's that right there like because i don't even think he realizes at times until he's, he's going too far yeah 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 until he's like really pissed off at his wife but even then he's like in the name of science like she is very much her. like <laughs> frankenstein uh that yeah. he, anything yeah. to everything science, is yeah. are just means to an end basically right exactly yeah. now i wouldn't be doing my job as a uh reviewer 
if I didn't point out a little bit of like, I only wrote down three because I'm the movie was in 1959, uh, so yeah. I'm not going to be super hard on it. So when we eventually see the Tingler and it's moving around, it very much is just this prosthetic, and you can see basically yeah. just see the person off screen tugging on a string and pull, pulling yeah. it along very much. But I think that just adds to some of the charm, in all honesty. Yeah, it really I'm, made me enjoy that theater scene where it's just kind of chugging along the theater floor. I it's wish that... I wonder if, if William Castle is like, leave it. Like, it's theatrics. Like, yeah. leave it. Like, it's the process. Yeah. That it's supposed to be a fun experience like an uh, audience would have. Just let it look yeah. like that. But I'm not going to judge a movie that came out in 1959. But it was like, yeah. oh, you can totally see the string. I was like, well, yeah, what do you expect in fact i wish things yeah. were like they would make it easier for me to make a movie if i wanted to <laughs> right. but there was another i laughed every time this happened people are so in this movie people are so cavalier about calling the police especially when the murderer is standing right in front of him yeah. vincent yeah. price has a gun on his wife and she's just inching towards the doorway and then just announces i'm calling the police yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. the, and says it very yeah. slowly just like that and i was like well don't tell him yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah, then later yeah vincent does the same thing when, when he's talking to what was the uh theater owner's name ollie Ollie, Ollie when he's yeah. talking Ollie, to Ollie, yeah. he's like, well, what are you going to do? Well, Ollie, I'm going to go call the police <laughs> and then they're going to come here. He's like, well, you know, they're probably going to give me the electric chair. Well, no, that's, you know, uh, out of my hands. Yeah. I was like, yeah. well, this is a very <laughs> calm conversation. Just another yeah. Tuesday morning. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, well, you caught me. What am I going to do? I mean, I yeah. caught me slipping. I, I should have well, covered my tracks like, better. Yeah. Ollie's like that, too. I mean, we know he's not a great husband, but it's like, you know, there's death in the families and there's yeah. death and the people are always just like, are you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, and then okay. they just go on to the next thing. Like, he said, okay. you, you didn't know her, Doc. She tried to kill me a couple of times. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. in this movie, she probably did. Like, yeah, the way true. people it's, are it's in this movie. That's a William Castle wife, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a William Castle wife. I wouldn't be surprised. You know, he probably just killed her before she could kill him. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Other than that, just like the, you know, again, I'm not going to talk about the, uh, the, the cheap, like, effects because I love them anyway. Yeah. But those those were like the only two things that I wouldn't say were bad, but I just thought were funny. Gave me a chuckle. Yeah. yeah. They were very much a product of the time, which was a refreshing thing to actually go back to. Oh, I, I wrote a little note right here. As soon as I saw those x-ray pictures of the uh, Tingler, I became very self-conscious of my lower back. Just yes. as I was yeah. watching, I was, I, was like, I, I sat oh. up in my seat. I was like, hmm, <laughs> just, just yeah. kind of feeling the lower sure. of my spine a little bit. And it's Make sure so, there's nothing there. It's so like it's it's kind of scary, isn't it? Because you know, fear. We think of fear as like an emotion. You know, horror is an emotion. Yeah. And then it's like, wait, if being afraid is this very natural thing, but being afraid creates this thing that can fracture and you know blister. And that my spinal everybody column, has it. Yeah. Everybody has it, and so that's kind of like you know that that in itself is pretty horrifying, in my opinion. It's like you know everybody gets afraid, but and everybody knows that lower back tense feeling when things yeah. get a certain yeah, way exactly yeah. exactly and and you know william castle says that the idea came from you know when people say spine tingling like sensation when you're mm -hmm. scared he's yeah. like it's like something's ru running up your back and i'm like it's brilliant but Certainly yeah i i definitely i i implore everybody to go and watch a lot more vincent price movies because yeah if anything just for vincent price yeah i oh, can yeah. Yeah. i can say anything and sell me anything yeah well and just to another little quick plug 
there are some Vincent Price movies where you're like, David, I'm sorry, but like House on Haunted Hill, you're like, oh, it's over. You know, like the ending is very abrupt. And some of the things don't overlap very well. There are times where you're like, are they, did they try to do a little bit too much? But you also kind of see there's a dialogue in in a full extension where William Castle even says, in The Tingler, I, I guarantee you, you will experience three times the fright as you did in, in my book House on Haunted, or in my movie House on Haunted Hill. So I also think there was like this kind of progression where he was like, okay, you can be theatrical, you can have fun with it, but you have to remember to make it make sense. Like it has yeah. to go together. So in my opinion, this is probably one of the most sound Vincent Price movies. Some of them, they're just like, Vincent Price he's scary like there we go and it's Mm -hmm. he can bring a presence but he can't bring it all anything else or may I David go for it sticking with Vincent Price but uh moving a little bit away from the tingler but sticking with Vincent Price Haley I hear that you're some kind of Vincent Price fan yeah I mean that's the rumor it's yeah. the on the block. Yeah. Now, I, I wanted to take it upon myself to test that. Now, I have here in my hand five Vincent Price quotes from five different movies. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Now, now I'll, I'm going to incentivize you here. Okay. For each quote, that you, if you can tell me what movie that this comes from, you get five bucks. Wow. Wow. If you can tell me... Though. If you can tell me the name of his character, you get an extra dollar, so you can potentially get 30 bucks after this interview. Wow. Wow. This is fun. <laughs> I, 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 this, is, this is by far the part that I've been looking forward to the most yeah. because I've, I was told that you're a big Vincent Price fan. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go into the archives. Yeah, he put some research into this. Yeah. I see. I see that. Yeah. I, I was yeah. told. I was told. I so let's. Price let's yeah. uh, for those Let's that are just listening, she has earned a that tattoo. tattoo on her arm. Yes. Yeah. yes. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read these quotes. Right. And then there's a reason why I chose each of these quotes, too, because it oh. leads into something about Vincent Price. Awesome. Now, first one. Now, I apologize in advance because you will hear me do a horrible Vincent Price impression. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. So the first quote. You've seen me drive my chariot. I can flick a fly from my horse's ear without breaking the rhythm of his stride. Man. Man. And I'll, uh, if you ask, I will give you the year that it came out. Okay, let's, let's ask for the year on that one. 1956. Wow. 56. Wow. I'll say it again. You've seen this me drive my chariot. <laughs> I can flick a fly from my horse's ear without breaking the rhythm of his stride. I was so proud of myself for finding that was pretty good. That was yeah. pretty good. Um, wow. Okay. I know I'm going to hate myself, but how about this? Like you can give up the dollar and I'll tell you the character's name and I'll, okay. and, but you can still get the character's name is Baca. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure. This is what I've seen. Oh, sure uh, well, I should say anything. these aren't all horror movies either. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, I do probably strict myself to Vincent Price horror. So you. Can, oh, all right. Well, then you might time. not. Oh, so if it's Vincent Price or at least two of these are not Vincent Price horror. Okay, okay. Yeah, I probably don't know this one. All right. Well, this one was from the Charlton Heston movie Ten Commandments. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That one is one of his most famous roles for, where he started. Yeah. 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 The reason why I, I chose this one is because this is one of my favorite non-horror Vincent Price, because you don't have to be religious to appreciate the spectacle of the Ten Commandments movie with yeah. Charlton Heston. And and Vincent Price plays a total piece of garbage in, in that movie. <laughs> uh, so I wanted to ask you, because not a lot of people know this, but most of Vincent Price's movies are not actually in the realm of horror. Yeah. But I was going to ask you, what is your favorite non-horror role from Vincent Price? That's a, that's a good question. Um, or do you have one? I'm not sure that I, I have one. And I think, honestly... It's because when I do seek out Vincent Price, for me, he was like a father of horror. You know, people tend to put that with Stephen King. I always say, no, Stephen King is the king of horror. Vincent Price is the father of horror. Why do you think that he got typecast as a horror icon so much instead of because he's not he has so many movies that aren't but everybody knows him as the horror uh, right right I think it's it certainly comes down to that presence so it's ability you can it seems as though like Vincent Price can step into horror and then just like be the genre so what I love about that is there are a lot of movies with Vincent Price in it that are horror or thriller and Mm -hmm. they're honestly not that great but people watch them because Vincent Price is great because yes, Vincent yeah. Price walks in and you're like, this is creepy. This is a bad guy. You know, this is a villain or this is yeah. horrifying. So to me, I think that's where he kind of got this rep as this horror icon because it wasn't about the budget. It wasn't about the visual effects. It was strictly about the actor. Mm-hmm. I kind of think of him sometimes a little bit like Alan Rickman. Oh, yeah. yeah. It got to the point where they said they weren't like, you know, they didn't give him the little cues. He said somberly or he said, you know, because they, they give him those little cues on stage. Yeah. And they said that they took those out of Vincent Price's scripts. And eventually they did that with Alan Rickman, too, because even the director wanted to see how does Vincent Price deliver this? And William Castle's fantastic because he said nine out of 10 times we went with how Price initially delivered it. So that's something else he's known for on set yeah. of horror movies is delivering lines very quickly and not having to do a ton of reshooting, which was perfect because he worked in, you know, low budget horror for so long. Yeah. All right. So that, that's one quote down. So okay, I failed. <laughs> All right. you, you still got four more. All right. right. Now, uh, here's the next one. I can't afford the luxury of anger. Anger makes me vulnerable. It can destroy my reason. And reason is the only advantage I have over them. Is that Haunted Palace? No, that's not Haunted Palace. This one is a horror. Okay. And this one, I'll give you the year. Okay. 1964. Is that Witchfinder? No. I'm wrong? <laughs> Man, okay. You I'll, I'll say it one more time. I'll say it one more time. I'll give you another try. One more time. I can't afford the luxury of anger. Anger can make me vulnerable. It can destroy my reason. And reason is the only advantage I have over them. Star of a Madman? No, that's the one that David trying been to push guess, on me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. I'm a failure. What is it? You're not. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> the last man on Earth. Yes, yes. That's a good one. That was the first adaption of I Am Legend. A lot of people don't. That's know that. why. That's what I was kind of getting when I was yeah. watching it. Yeah, man. I can't. I'm. I'm going to think about that for like, you know, we always have those moments that we like think back on for years. That's going to be one of mine. I feel like it's, um, yeah, you know, Vincent Price fans are going to come at me. Um, (laughs) I feel like it's such a, with Vincent Price, it's such a 
experiencing his presence sort of thing where I'd oh, say I'd yes, probably... I yes I, I his 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 on-screen presence is very much what you're paying for when you see a Vincent Price movie right, not right. even necessarily what he's saying but how he says things yeah and he definitely has quotes that stand out to me but apparently I need yeah. to watch The Last Man on Earth again um, that is one of the Vincent Price movies that I think the ending is very fast. And, and to be like, fair, and to give you a little credit, like I literally watched these the last two days. So <laughs> yeah. These things I've watched the last two days and wrote them down. And he has yeah. movies spanning from the 1950s all the way to the 2000 and uh, the mid 2000s. So yeah, I have yeah. the three volumes of the Vincent no 1990s. Price I think sorry, not like 2000. This big, yeah, the volumes of the Vincent Price collection. So I have those and those focus on on horror and gothic you know when he did some of his Edgar Allan Poe roles too the reason why I chose last man on earth is because there was a particular scene in which he is watching an old film reel of of happier times and then he starts laughing and then immediately breaks down crying yeah and I just thought he had such a great range of emotion. Even in The Tingler, we saw conniving Vincent Price. We saw psychotic Vincent Price who's going crazy. Yeah. We, we saw cool, suave Vincent Price. Yes. I just think the guy has such a great range of emotion. And that one in particular, I thought was just really nice because he goes, ha, ha, ha. And then just immediately right into hysterical sobbing, which I thought yeah. was beautiful. And he's scene. just always so believable, even in otherwise maybe some kind of cheesy movies. All right. Two down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay third third one i'm going to do the voice just because it was very much a part of the character okay okay very well if that is your decision oh by the way i had the liberty of bringing your daughter here i would spend many a sleepless night if anything unfortunate were to befall her i can hear it i can hear it i feel like i can see it man i'm having an off day you guys it's a, it's a, per, yeah. it's perfectly. I, I take no pleasure in this. <laughs> Trust me. In torturing me? <laughs> Maybe a uh, little. <laughs> man, when you said you were quizzing me, I'm like, I got this. No, no big deal. Um, and you this know, one is not, this one's not horror. And he very much talks like this the entire time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. 1986 is the year. 86. Man, the maybe if I, I give you one of the people who he's talking to his name, you go, oh, Basil. Maybe you didn't see this. I maybe it's because I grew up on this movie. What is that? You're just gonna tell me. Animated movie, The Great Mouse Detective. Yes, yes, that was one of his favorite roles. Did you know that? That was one of my favorite of his roles. That's probably one of my next to Baca is probably my favorite. Man, I was about I'm to like, start singing Radigan song in a minute. I I'm I'm mad at myself. Yes, Radigan was. <laughs> to such be fair, a great again, character. you're put, being put on the spot and asked yeah. to go through like volumes of movies. No, it's okay. It's. I'm, it's trash. I'm terrible. <laughs> I got faith. You'll get this next one. Now, the reason why I, I chose that one, because that goes with his iconic voice. Vincent oh, Price. Sure. His, he has like one of the few in like top five of, of horror, like iconic voices. Who would you say is on par with his iconic voice? Like maybe top three. And is there anybody in Hollywood nowadays that you would put on that same level? So the first one that comes to mind, um, by the way, when you said 1986, I was going to guess the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. If you guys have not seen it, Vincent Price is animated. I did. I, I do know I that. I have not seen that. that. 
Yes, it's it's awesome. Um, I'm pretty sure his name is uh, Vincent Van Gool. And, that's, and, that's perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. So on par with Vincent Price, you know, this is this is funny because this actually became one of Vincent Price's best friends. Um, I'd have to say Christopher Lee. I think his oh, that voice makes sense. is very on par. He is so funny because he's not, people forget how he was an icon of horror. You know, Peter Cushing, Vincent Price, and Christopher Lee are kind of considered the three fathers of horror. But like Price, Christopher Lee was in a lot of lower budget movies. And I think people, when they think of classic horror, they kind of stop at like 70s. You know, they stop with yeah. like John Carpenter. Maybe they go a little bit further back. John Carpenter, like The Thing. Yep. Some people know, what is it? Is it the blob? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like some yeah. people know those or maybe the birds. But other than that, people don't really think classic horror. They don't immediately go Christopher Lee's, you know, Dracula or Vincent Price. But Christopher Lee, especially a young Christopher Lee, has that very same presence factor that Vincent Price does. And they actually did become very good friends. The way they talk, you don't know what their agenda is. Right. Very suave, but you can tell that they have their own. They're they're very much working on their own agenda. You could either be a pawn or you could be an accomplice. So right, right. Yeah. I shared on my my Instagram story a few weeks back. Um, Vincent Price was also a baseball fan, and there was a game where he was there with his wife, and they were watching the Dodgers, and the Dodgers were just getting their asses handed to them. And Vincent Price felt terrible because everybody's sad and it's so hot, and everybody's sitting out yeah. there wanting to see the team do anything. Like I'm pretty sure they were getting a no hitter pitched against them. Yeah. And um, so Vincent Price stands up and he says, who wants a hot dog? And his wife said everybody in the surrounding rows was like, knew it was Vincent Price. And he's talking about hot dogs and he's like passing out the mustard packets. And he's like, here you go, my friends. And it was so funny because one of the reporters who was reporting on the game actually said, I, that's the first time that I thought of like maybe a story on a haunted concession stand. <laughs> that story makes, that sounds like yeah. something that modern day Bill Murray would do. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And Bill Murray is a is a Cubs fan, which I am as well. That's what I grew up on. Which I'm Never, sure you guys kind of get that with the same here, yeah. yeah. I grew up with yeah. a giant Cubs fan too. So. Yeah. so is there anybody who works in Hollywood now that you would say has like that kind of voice or that kind of presence? So unfortunately he passed away, but I do think when I first found, we already kind of talked about him, but when I first found yeah. Alan Rickman, yep. it was in um, Sweeney Todd. That was the first time I saw Alan Rickman, Timber and Sweeney Todd with <laughs> Johnny Depp, which I adore that movie. Actually, That's a great a movie. Post- I actually have the poster in my room. Um, along with House of Wax and House on Haunted Hill. But when I first saw him, it was like, you know, we're watching like kind of a fantasy movie and it's for a younger audience. But even when he was being kind, even when he had those kind of softer moments, like when he came in, I feel like it would be one of those circumstances. If Alan Rickman stood up at a baseball game and said, who wants a hot dog? Everybody, everybody would look at him. And I just feel like it's, it's the presence. It's the same thing where you cannot direct how to convey emotion in your voice with an actor like Alan Rickman because it's more of a natural thing. Yeah. 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 
And, you know, he talked about how there was one set he was on. It was like on stage. It was in theater. And he used to have a director who yelled at him. He's like, pick up the pace, read your lines faster. And he's like, and now I made a career out of, you know, taking this 12 second line and making it 30 seconds. (laughs) My first Alan Rickman movie before I knew him as Snape or anything was Galaxy Quest. Yes. Okay. Same here. Yeah. I would probably say mine was probably Galaxy Quest as well. Yes. That's that. You just even. Right from my brain. Even yeah. that movie, he just like this very thespian, dramatic, classically trained actor who takes everything right. he does super yeah. seriously. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Three down. Three down. And yeah, this is not uh, my day. Hey, hey, well, let's, well, let's, well, we, we can still end on a high note. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This, this one might, okay. <laughs> a many numerous questions confront us. Should the man rise when he accepts his cup of tea, may lump sugar be taken with fingers? No. Is it good form to accept a second cup? That is Edward Scissorhands. It is Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, do you, do you know who, what, his, what his character name was? Um... <laughs> That's a trick question. He's just listed it's as the, the inventor. inventor. Isn't it? Yeah, yes, yeah the, okay, the inventor. Okay, okay, yeah. yes. Yes. I, I see you went over the trick, but he didn't have a name. It was just the inventor. The inventor. Yeah, that's why I was like, um, it's so funny, though, because when I when I talk about Vincent Price and, you know, when I teach novel writing, I say thriller and people are like, OK, some of them I'll play it. And they're like, oh, OK, yeah, the lap. And I say the inventor in Edward Scissorhands. And that stumps so many people. Like I even like, you know, from an older generation. But that they've like, never seen the movie or they don't know who he is. They didn't re- either they don't know it's Vincent Price or they didn't realize it's Vincent Price because, it, you know, it's a very old Vincent Price. But I would have. Well, I was going to say I would have known him right off the bat. But then again, I've been watching them for the last like week. So oh, yeah. I immediately I picked him out. And yeah. I, I remember asking my grandfather one Halloween because my grandfather introduced me like House of Wax and things like that. Yeah. And I hadn't seen him so old before. And I said, is that Vincent? In price and he's like i think it is so that was kind of <laughs> see <laughs> another reason yeah. another reason you shouldn't feel bad i'm a movie reviewer i've never seen edward scissorhands i what um well you i were... saw it as a kid and that's yeah. a tim burton movie and and that's what like supposedly one of his big ones and i've never seen it tim burton is probably in my top three favorite directors of all time he's David good probably... although I, I don't know about some of his recent stuff like I dumbo definitely... i could take or leave yeah, I agree. I agree with that 100%. Alice in Wonderland, I could have probably... Well, I, that, I liked the I, idea, but not so much who they got to play Alice. I appreciated it because I do feel like he always brings in other... I, I'm going to say this and everybody's going to be like, what? He has, um, you know, like an alum... He has alum actors. Yeah. But he always brings in kind of new actors as like the, the centers or actresses, I should say, you know, kind yeah. of finds these new like fair women that are just very Tim Burton-esque and you wonder where does he find these people Tim Burton is one of my favorite directors of all time and I was going to say David probably knows this I tend to sprinkle in some Tim Burton nods when I can so in Not Another Sarah Halls Becca sneaks out one night and she turns up Sleepy Hollow and she's like tiptoeing out and to to test the volume like if Autumn's going to wake up the guy gets his head cut off and she's like okay, did she wake up to that? Like, is it good? And so then she comes back on and somebody else is losing their head. And it's just, so I make little nods to Sleepy Hollow and just so many different Tim Burton movies. Just random question. What's your favorite Tim Burton movie? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, Favorite Tim Burton movie, I would have to say is probably... It's probably Sleepy Hollow just because it it has such that gothic horror vibe 
honestly, if you've ever read Sleepy Hollow, I don't feel that anyone else could have done it besides Tim Burton. It's just, and it has a classic Tim Burton theatrically bright red blood too, and Christina Ritchie. So it's amazing. Yeah. My favorite one is one I, I just saw like last year, and it was not even one of his horror ones. I love the movie Big Fish. Yes, I love Big Fish yeah. too. It's just it's all storytelling. Fun. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And very um, much just a story of a relationship between a father and his son. And yes, yeah. yes. not not horror, not anything, but it does have that whimsical Tim Burton flair, right. but just not in the yeah. direction of horror, which I thought was pretty cool. Yes, yeah, I, I'd, I'd probably go with the Sleepy Hollow because it's one of the few Tim Burton movies I've seen. Yes, I, really I recommend it, yeah. like everything. everything. I also, <laughs> I also, <laughs> if you guys don't know, he has a short called Vincent, and it's basically a kid who excuse oh, me, yeah. has little delusions, and yeah. it's voiced by Vincent Price. That came like, up when Vin- I when I typed in uh, Tim Burton Vincent Price. Uh, yes, and yeah. another one that's really good that has Johnny Depp in it is called Edward, and oh it's yeah, short Ed Wood. in black and white, and mm. I love it because. He's supposed to be uh, like uh, he was like one of the most infamously bad directors of like the black and white movie era. Yes. Yeah. And I know the guy's name who played the original Dracula. Is it Bella Lugosi or Bella Bella Lugosi? Lugosi. Yeah. Yeah. So he, um, you know, there's a, a man, I can't remember who plays him, but, you know, he, his person, he is in it yeah. as well, which is just really, really interesting. Correct but yeah, me if I'm wrong. Sure. Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. I'm pretty sure um, Ed Wood was the director's name, if I can remember correctly. I, I believe it's Ed Wood. I was going to ask about, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he heavily into like transvesticism? And I think that's where yeah. the movie Glenn or Glenda uh, had yes. come from. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I think he, yeah, he has a very controversial movie. There's one that's called Death of a Transvestite, Killer and Drag. Um, and there's another one, Orgy of the Dead. And I was making sure so, I got the right person, right? Didn't want yeah. To... <laughs> yeah. So he, he was unique, to say the least. A little ahead of his time. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm pretty sure he did a lot with I think he initially drew up the original concept for Vampira, if I'm not mistaken. All right. So without that, wouldn't have Elvira. So I'm also a huge Elvira fan. I don't know if you guys knew that. Uh, I've seen her a couple <laughs> of times at, at some horror cons that I've been to. I, every, I and, every, and she's she's one of those people that the room kind of stops when she walks in. Everybody it's gives like Elvira her due. Everybody gives Elvira her due respect when she enters yeah. the room. Oh, she's amazing! I got to go to um, a book talk of hers just this week on Tuesday because she released her book, her memoir, Yours Cruelly, and it was amazing because she it was via Zoom, you know, with COVID. Yeah. But it was amazing because she's sitting in her office and there's this massive bookcase and it has all these incredible pictures of who Elvira's gotten to meet over the years. But right at the center, and it's like the biggest one, it's blown up. It's her shaking hands with Vincent Price. Oh, that's really and cool. Oh, that's cool. She yeah. said House on Haunted Hill was her gateway into horror. And like okay. Vincent Price, she wanted to be able to be this like horror icon. And not to be superficial, but when I saw a recent picture, she's aging very gracefully. Oh, she is. Yeah. She is. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I couldn't it believe was... it when I looked and I, and I saw, I'm not going to go ahead and tout her age right now, but when I saw it, I was like, Oh my God, I would not have thought she's, uh, I hope I age half as gracefully. I think we we should tout her age uh, because she said it. She, I think she just turned 70. Yep. That's what I saw. And um, when she was on that call, I was like, there's no way. And then if you think about it, I'm like, I mean, I guess like one of the first movies I saw her in or one of her, you know, Elvira, you know, she dissects different movies. I guess it was in the early 80s, maybe even like 79. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And she was originally supposed to play 
Vampira's daughter with the same name Vampira. Mm-hmm. And last minute that really pissed off Vampira and she tried to sue Elvira. And so like right before she shot her first, you know, this is Elvira's where she goes through and talks about different horror movies. They said, you have to pick a new name. And so they threw in a bunch of names like into a coffee can and somebody was a fan (laughs) of an old country song called Elvira. And she was so annoyed because she was like, it just came out this week. I love stories like that. How did you get that? It was just like, well, you like picked it out of a can and all honesty. My name could have been something completely different. Yeah. Yeah, I have like great like childhood memories because on like Saturday night on like the CW, I don't know. I think it was W or UPN, her and like Spangoolie would show horror movies. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think she, even though I already kind of had an idea of who Vincent Price was, I think um, you know, it's kind of cool it's the age that we are because we get to yeah. see like we get to see all the old Vincent Price and then we get to see it, you know, with like Elvira and she's kind of dissecting it. So it's cool because I felt like through her, yeah. I got an even bigger appreciation for kind of B-level horror. That yeah. does have its charm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Which all right, is, got... Vincent Price too. Charming. We got one last quote here. All right. All right. I'm ready. Let's see. Coming all the way from 1959. Right. You forget, I had you in charge when you were a very sick man, when you raved in delirium, and I heard you talk about a hidden room. Now where else would you hide a secret room except for that mansion you built? Come on. All right. Hmm. Except for that mansion you built. I'll, I'll say it one more time. All right. You forget, I had you in charge when you were a very sick man, when you raved in delirium, and I heard you talk about a hidden room. Now where else would you hide a secret room except in that mansion you built? Man. This is a, this is a tough day. <laughs> <laughs> this hey, one at the very me. least, you're walking away with a hot six bucks. Right. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, this is driving me crazy because... I hear it and I'm like, I'm flashing through my, my mind, like the different, um, like Vincent Price costumes and like, and like yeah. the, the late fifties. Where this one does have a costume. Um, um, I mean, even when he's not technically like costume, it's like the Vincent Price, like, um, velvet, like dressings and stuff. So oh, all right. Can I have his character's name? Uh, Malcolm Wells, Dr. Malcolm Wells. Of course, because he always plays a doctor. <laughs> right, right. Dr. Malcolm Wells. Very sick. All right, you have to tell me. Said, said right before he shoots a guy with a that hunting one's... rifle. Oh. Or I think it was a hunting rifle. It was a, some kind of rifle or maybe a shotgun or something. Um, 59. Hmm. It's not a shock, is it? No, that's no. too... No, but it, it, it's, it's kind of like a one-word title. <laughs> kind of like a one-word title? The something. Hmm. Is this one horror? Uh, horror thriller-ish, yeah. It's okay. in that realm. Man. It's driving me crazy. All right, you can tell me. The Bat. The Bat. <laughs> yes, about the writer. About the, yep. the woman who's an author. That's why I yeah. chose that one. <laughs> yes. Okay, see, I do think it makes it helps a little bit that I, I feel like I gave you a little details after everyone I missed. So yeah. that's no, that's I why I was saying it's not that you're you're not you have a lot of Vincent Price knowledge, but you can't have it all encyclopedic and right in front of you. Right. 
Right. And again, it's easy for me because I specifically went out and looked them up. Yes, so, I did enjoy the bat, but I, I remember watching it and wishing Price had been in it just a little bit more. But the woman who plays the the lead, the author, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's very great. Yeah. And this one actually has one of the lower scores of Vincent Price movies. This one has like a 20 on the, not that Rotten Tomatoes is the be all end all of yeah. what, you know, yeah. the critic score, but it was listed at like a 20% yeah. on the ultimatum meter. What is your least favorite Vincent Price movie? Okay. I have said this before, but never on a podcast because I always give a little bit of pushback. Um, this is one of his most famous roles. People tend to love it because it's like the most evil you will ever see Vincent Price. And I can't watch it. Um, Witchfinder General. You're wrong. Canceled. No, I'm just. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I cannot do it. And honestly, it's it's distressing. Like, it's like they focus so much on some of the horror factors that sometimes I'm wondering kind of where the story is kind of coming together at. Mm-hmm. And not, I hope this doesn't offend you guys or annoy you guys, but um, it's very, very anti-women. You know, women are very, very, mm-hmm. um, they're abused in this movie. They're sexually assaulted in this movie. And it's yes, another as one. As a of woman, those, I am yeah. very offended. <laughs> it's another one of those things <laughs> where it's like everybody is extremely cavalier to women being abused. And oh, when did oh, that come out? When did this um, movie come out? Let's let's look. Um, I'm pretty sure that one was in the in the 60s. Was that the 60s? Uh, no, yeah, no. Did the movie itself take place? Because I, I haven't seen it. it has, has does that take place in the 60s? No, it's it's way it's way older. Um, okay, so it takes place in or it's 1968. But yeah, it's pretty. I think it's during like kind of like witch trial kind of days. Oh, so there's so, a reason I mean, there, there's a reason why the women are being mistreated. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's the, that's why I was getting at. But yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. But it's it's hard, you know, because you don't really like you see that in movies nowadays and you always kind of have like the one person who acknowledges that it's yeah. wrong. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like we get that. And yeah. I mean, it's just con- so it's like everybody is on board with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's torturous, it's violating, and I have a really hard time with it because, it, yeah, I'm just, and then it's one of those where, to me, I don't feel that the story comes together very well, but if yeah. you look it up, it has a 4.3 out of 5 on Shutter, uh, an 88 on Rotten Tomatoes, and almost a 7 on IMDb, so. That's the fun thing of- about horror movies and just movies in general is that for every movie that you will like defend and die on that hill to defend, there will be somebody who will just tear it apart and vice versa. So. Yeah. And I wonder too, if like, if I'm being fair, like everything I'm describing to you, like that's horrifying, you know, like what, what happens in that movie that's horrifying. So it's not to say it's a bad movie to me. It was just, well, I some things are just hard there. to watch. Right. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. me, and this we, is another unpopular opinion of mine, Saw was always one of those for me. It was just, it was hard I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Saw series. My, yeah, my boyfriend is a huge Saw fan. Yeah. I, I, I struggle with those. <laughs> but no, it's it's funny though, because we watched Fear Street, me and Dave, for our first yeah. episode. And my least favorite of all of it was the 1666 of the whole witch stuff, because I too don't like that era where it's like, man, it's because we live now in hindsight, knowing all of that is wrong. And yeah. like, it's like, there's nothing I can do about about it so so when i see stuff that is clearly wrong and oh the the cows died it obviously is because this woman's a witch burn her yeah yeah that's i don't like well 
not that I don't like movies like that, but stuff like that is also kind of tough for me to watch. Like, I, my sister wants for me to get into the show Handmaid's Tale, and I can't yeah. do it. I've tried oh, to. I haven't done it either. And I, I've watched it two or three episodes, and every single time, I was just, I was like, you know, it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> just yeah. Yeah. Like, I just, it's not you to know, say yeah. that the story is bad or that, no. you know, yeah. and that's how I feel about. I guess I said it doesn't quite come together for me, but Witchfinder in general, you know, Vincent Price has always been fun horror to me. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. not to say there can't be elements of trauma or like a seriousness to it, but I felt in that movie, you never got a break from all the awfulness. And, you know, that's kind of what makes horror is all this terrible going on. And then you have these characters with some heart. I felt the whole movie, I was scanning for that heart. And somebody here has to not suck so much other than these women who, you know. One would argue that it's being more like a realistic take on things or like yeah. this, you know, yeah. there's not, not always, is there going to be a knight in shining armor or that things work out happily ever after? And sometimes I can deal with that. But at some point during a movie, I'm like, well, give me someone to root for. That's right. how I felt. I was like, who am I, yeah. who am I rooting for? And then it's just like, man, they got another one and they got another one. And by the end of it, like... I remember just going, that was exhausting. Like that was a mentally exhausting movie to watch. That's about all I got in in terms of uh, those those were all the quotes. All right. All right. Um, I I guess if I could just say one more thing. So we talked about my least favorite Vincent Price. My number one favorite is Diary of a Madman. That is what my tattoo is. You know, it better be good because Dave has been telling me for the past week that you like watch Diary of a Madman. It's my favorite. It's it's fantastic. It has some lackluster effects, but again, it's the time. And it's the Vincent Price presence in that is insane. It's fantastic. Well, then that will be the next movie that I watch. I promise. You'll have to let me know how you like it. I I will message you as soon as I'm done watching it. I'm going to watch it today. Awesome. Maybe I'll do it too. (laughs) All three of us might as well just watch it. Let's just all watch it. Yes. Do an Instagram live. (laughs) Oh, we need to do that at some point. We should. We should just go through the Vincent Price movies. Haley, I really appreciate you coming on our show. I really appreciate you having me. And it goes without saying that you have a standing invitation whenever you want to come back. I know I was telling Dave at some point I want to review the remake of House of Wax. That way we can compare it to the old one. Yes. So I feel like I'll be brutal. But so you're more than welcome. Just anytime you're feeling bored or you just want to talk anything horror, just always come on the show. Do you have anything you want to plug? Um, you can check me out on all my social medias at Haley Newland Author, and I hope everybody watches Diary of a Madman or The Tingler and lets me know how they like it. Oh, I appreciate okay. that. And that appreciate about wraps it, yeah. it up for Body Bag this week. That's me, Chris cool. Thomas, with Brooke Ryder Dave. And again, Have a good week, everybody. And then thank you again, Haley. Thank you.